We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 52. Our guest today is one of my favorite people. She is so much fun, and I actually got to spend a whole weekend with her as she was an attendee at my equestrian workshop. She is a functional nutrition practitioner and equestrian athlete, and she helps women, especially other equestrians, ditch the diet, lose weight, and gain energy and improve equestrian sports performance. I think we could all use a little bit of that right now. So let's hear it from her. Here's the founder of Nutrition the Natural Way, Danny Conway. It is so good to have you on the Equestrian Podcast. The last time I saw you was at the Equestrian Workshop, and I feel like it's been so long already. I know. That was an amazing weekend, and thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to chat with you today. Yeah, amazing. So you have Nutrition the Natural Way, and before we kind of dive into that, um, would love to kind of hear how you got into the equestrian world yourself as a rider or what that looked like. Yeah, absolutely. would love to share. So um, as many of us started, my parents took me to the pony rides when I was about five. Nice. And of course, they're probably sorry that they ever did that. <laughs> or I should say my husband might be sorry that they yeah, ever right? did that. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's his problem now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I took lessons through my younger years. And then in my teens, I actually um, worked at a children's sleepaway camp that had a, an amazing English writing program. So that's how I got to oh, cool. continue through my teenage years. Um, and then I had a, a break in my 20s um, due to some health stuff going on, which kind of led me down the path to, to nutrition the natural way. And then actually was a first time horse owner, not till 32. So I was very passionate about never giving up on my dream. And um, when I met my husband, actually, I told him, horses will be part of my life. You don't have to be part of the horses, but they will be. And so he agreed, not knowing exactly what he agreed to, of uh -huh. course, but that's kind of how the, the horse side of things started from a very, very young age. Cool. That's awesome. So you touched on, you took a little break, you had some health issues. What was going down during that period of your life? Yeah. So it was in my early twenties. Um, I had a lot of struggles with my weight. Um, I, I could lo lose weight, but I couldn't keep it off. Um, and then aside from the actual weight loss, I had a lot of hormone imbalances, food cravings, sugar cravings, digestive issues, um, a lot of stuff going on, um, from like a, you know, underlying perspective and, um, went to the doctor. They told me I was normal. My blood work was normal, hmm. um, all that kind of stuff. And so that just really kind of led me down a path looking for something different as far as health goes and, um, an alternative way of doing things because I figured that, you know, there was no way I was willing to live through to my 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond feeling the way I was feeling in just my early 20s. Totally. Um, and so that just, again, led me down a path to look for something different, different ways of doing things from nutrition to hormones and looking at the body physiologically as well. Okay. So obviously, um, you didn't get a lot of help from the doctor who said you were normal. So yes. what did you do? And like, obviously at that point in time, you didn't know as much as you know now, how did you start kind of sleuthing to figure out what was wrong yeah. with you? 
Yeah, it literally was like that because at the time, um, you know, there's a lot of things in nutrition now that are more mainstream than they were, you know, 20, oh my God, 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so it really was like sleuthing and doing things completely off the cuff and different. I mean, I had personal trainers that were telling me what to do, but they what they were telling me wasn't working. So mm. it was really a different way of looking at food, a different way of looking at um, nutrition, you know, good fats, higher protein, um, you know, not as many complex carbohydrates when, you know, the new, when the fitness industry is touting, you know, you need carbohydrates to gain muscle and to have energy and all this yeah. stuff. So it was very... Um, it was very different as far as that went, but I felt like I had no other choice. I mean, truth be told, I felt like I had no other choice because what I was doing wasn't working and I wasn't, I just wasn't willing to take, you know, take the way that I felt as an answer to, you know, life basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So then once you kind of figured out a plan for yourself, what was kind of like the concoction that worked best for you? Cause you lost some significant pounds. Yeah, definitely. The conco the concoction, so the customized nutrition uh, <laughs> that worked for me was definitely more of a higher, uh, higher fat moderate protein, lower carb way of eating. Um, so now known as low carb, high fat, or even more of a ketogenic um, lifestyle. And, you know, that was what was so off the cuff back then. I mean, it helped me to transition to actually losing and keeping 65 pounds of weight off. You know, when I say I yo-yoed for years, I mean, that is, that was my story. It was on and off and on and off. And, you know, that led to uh, helping with my balance, my hormones, food cravings, stress hormones, digestion. Um, it was really just across the board. So it really wasn't only about the weight loss that that really is kind of a symptom of, of many other things going on. That's definitely what worked for me personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then getting back to riding the yo-yoing and the feeling uncomfortable, not just in your own skin, but just like knowing that there's something up, even though you were getting your blood test results back normal and everything looked normal to doctors. I mean, that must have been not only frustrating, but a challenge to maintain any type of like common training program with riding. So that must have been a hard time too. Yeah, it was. And I think the biggest struggle with riding was the energy as well as the digestive issues. So, you know, stomach aches, nausea, bloating. I mean, the things that honestly nobody wants to talk about, but we can, I talk about them with my clients, of course, because it's yeah. really important. Yeah. Um, but that was the stuff that really impacted, you know, you horse riding horses is not sitting on a, in a chair and being mm -hmm. still, it's a lot of bouncing and, you know, making sure your body is comfortable, of course, internally. So that was really what um, kind of affected it the most. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then you took some time off, you got yourself healthy you, in a way that, you know, like made sense for you. Um, and then at that point in time, were you already working within the nutrition world or what, what were you doing professionally? In the beginning stages of that time, I was in still in corporate America in the financial industry. Okay. Um, and then around after I started getting healthy, I was actually laid off from corporate America. And mm -hmm. it was, you know, in hindsight, it was, of course, the best thing that ever had happened. Sure. To me. <laughs> but at the time, yeah, yeah, not so much. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I was already, um, you know, partly through my journey as far as discovering, uh, you know, the more natural holistic way of doing things from a nutritional standpoint to hormones, digestion, rebalancing, all of that stuff. And so that really just kind of made me 
realize and start thinking that I couldn't have been the only, um, you know, person or especially women struggling with those symptoms and, and not getting any answers. Yeah. So at that point I got, you know, various certifications and started to actually look at this as, Hey, I can do this professionally and be able to help various types of people, various types of symptoms. Again, it's not just about um, the weight loss piece of it. There's so many, so many other things. Yeah. A hundred percent. So then you were working, you, you had just been laid off and what was that transition like to when you started working with your own, uh, not just your own nutrition, but then making it a business for yourself? It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was, I'm the boss, you know, so yeah. like opening my private practice, I looked into kind of, you know, working within, you know, um, fitness studios and things like Mm -hmm. that. And that just wasn't an option for me. I wanted the freedom to kind of take my practice where I wanted to take it and work with the clients that I wanted to work with. And of course the overhead of working from home is, you know, not as high as being in an office. And, Mm -hmm. um, so I've been actually working from home now for over 13 years, which has um, been so nice. So that transition was actually really, um, gave me a lot of freedom. I would say mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It must've also been a little scary. I mean, considering being in a corporate world to then, you know, turning it into something where you're, there's a lot more unknown. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. The, you know, the financial part of it. I mean, you know, that's truth be told, you know, when going from salary to self-employed, you know, coaching and being new and all of that kind of stuff. So that all definitely mm-hmm. played a role. Yeah. 13 years ago, I mean, it must have looked very different for you to be coaching than it does now. I mean, what have been some major changes during those two time periods? Oh my gosh, this is such a great question. So I would like to tell everyone that when I, you know, open up my practice, there was like no social media. Yeah. Social media was not a thing. I mean, it might've existed then, but it was not like anywhere like it is now. So working with clients was one-on-one face-to-face. Um, whereas now I do everything over Skype and video and email. And so that opens up geography geographically for me to work with, you know, anyone. Yeah. There was of course no live video online. So all of the educational workshops that I did were in person locally. Mm -hmm. Um, networking was in person locally. It was so different. And, um, looking back, it definitely took time to embrace social media and embrace the whole online way of being and way of doing things. And I actually resisted it for quite some time. Yeah. And then I got to the point where I was like, I don't think this social media thing is going away. So I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So I better, you know, join the party. Mm-hmm. And, and so it kind of escalated from there. And then I realized how many resources and, and the different, you know, opportunities that are available um, through the online world. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you were working with clients at what point were you recognizing a need for that within the equestrian space? Um, it was probably, let me think I was seven to eight years ago. Um, you know, that I started to kind of, uh, have equestrian athletes who are coming to me for help with their nutrition and, mm-hmm. you know, wondering why they're having some symptoms like, you know, energy crashes in the afternoon, getting lightheaded, coming out of the arena, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so there was really, um, a definite, you know, when we look back at 
barn food and show food and the things that are available. I mean, we were surviving on candy and <laughs> crackers really? if we were lucky to have them around yeah. and caring so much for our horses' nutrition and, and treating them as athletes and not treating our bodies the same way. Right. That really opened up my mind um, to see what that, you know, where that need was, what that need was, and um, to really kind of go, go after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, would you say now, do you follow like a full on like ketogenic diet? For me personally, I, I go between what we, what we would consider um, a ketogenic way of eating and more of a low carb yep. way Eating. Um, and then as far as my outlook for, and, and that's, that sounds scary to some people because people think it's very much a fad and that's actually not, not the case. It's mm-hmm. been around for many, many years Yeah, um, and it's all about doing it correctly. And that's a big key. Um, right. but just in general, um, just looking at nutrition is my approach is very much, um, customized. So what works for one person doesn't work for the next. And mm-hmm. I've helped just as many people do, you know, the ketogenic way of eating correctly as I have actually suggest that they not do it because it's not the best for their body and their metabolism. Got it. Okay. What do you find makes a good candidate versus a bad candidate or not a, not a super successful candidate for a ketogenic diet? So as far as being a good candidate, what I find with the individuals who have tried many, many diets, they've maybe had struggles with yo-yo dieting. Um, They may struggle with a lot of cravings Mm -hmm. um, from either food cravings to sugar cravings, um, low energy, energy crashes. Those are the people that tend to need more of a higher, you know, protein and, and fat way of eating in their you know, as far as their lifestyle goes, that doesn't necessarily mean ketogenic. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they're not having, you know, good quality, what I call choice carbohydrates. It just means that they need to kind of flip the switch a little bit and, and increase those other foods where, um, they may have been recommended to, you know, increase, you know, good carbs and things like that. And Mm -hmm. and then we have to define, of course, what good carbs are and and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. How do you, explain to people that fat is actually good because I feel like that tends to be a really, you can say, oh yeah, there's healthy fat, there's good fat. But when it comes down to it, I feel like a lot of people are afraid to eat fat. Yeah, they definitely are. And I was one of them. So my yo-yo diets were all fat free. And so that was part of my problem with my hormone imbalances. Right. So it's very much a mental struggle for me to flip that switch and and have fat be okay and not scary. So mm-hmm. there's definitely an emotional piece to kind of flipping that switch, but really is is kind of looking at, you know, how our bodies thrive and if we look at look deep into our hormone levels, our hormones are synthesized from cholesterol and and good fats. And so our hormones need those good fats in order to thrive. And so then we need to look at the quality. So, you know, what comes from nature, avocados and coconut oil and all of the nutrients and eggs are in the yolk. And so we also need to remember too, that with all the myths out there about keto, it's not just eating tons and tons of fat. Mm -hmm. It's eating it in a balance for somebody's body, their metabolism, their activity level, their hunger, their satiation. So there's so many factors. And then to kind of just a side note this, to look at the inflammatory fats so the vegetable oils and all the problems in society that have happened since the vegetable oils came onto the map, which has kind of been like in the seventies, mm-hmm. whereas all of those natural foods have been, you know, in existence for much, much longer than that. Right. Yeah. 
Hey, quick word from our sponsor, and let me just say they are probably one of my favorite things about attending the Winter Equestrian Festival. Farmstand is excited to announce its newest location, their online store. For a third season at WEF, Farmstand's designation has been that of an oasis of health, with dozens of organic and gluten-free options between their three food trucks, and with a growing focus on small businesses whose missions center around sustainability, they've become a new shopping destination with rotating pop-ups in their open-air market. Farmstand's own shop is thoughtfully curated around a love for natural materials, quality, and plant-based products. Discover their shop online where you'll find everything from flower seeds to high-end women's wear. All of their goods promise to stand the test of time. So check them out at farmstand.com. That's farm-stand.com for more information. Thanks, Farmstand. Let's get back to the episode. And I think that that's uh, really cool that you have been able to identify that it's not like a, a one size fits all type of scenario. And you hear from a lot of people that uh, at the end of the day, all it is is like calories in, calories out. And that can be so dangerous because while that might help you uh, like lower the number on the scale that can be so uh, harmful to your body and how your body works and functions. Um, if you're just, you know, choosing to do like a bag of potato chips that are 120 calories versus, you know, some, like a, yeah. a healthy snack, it really does make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think um, with what you're just saying, as far as a customized approach is that then we need to take into consideration body composition. So as athletes, we, you know, we need to, some of us want to gain muscle. Some of us want to maintain muscle. Mm -hmm. Some of us, you know, in that process want to continue to get stronger or maintain the strength that we have, um, electrolyte imbalance, all of those things. So that is all going to come back to you know, the amount of protein, the amount of fat, the right carbohydrates, and then that customized approach to making sure that each person is getting what they need for their body and their metabolism mm -hmm. and not just following that one size fits all. Right. Yeah. Obviously as equestrians, and you touched on this earlier that our lives are crazy so busy. We're always running around, not to mention when we're at horse shows, it's like, you know, it used to be like you rely on a, you know, like any type of random bowl of candy you walk by or like a pair, like a Seriously. pack of old crackers you have at the bottom <laughs> of your trunk. What do you do? Like, what does a day look like for you? Like a Saturday that you're showing as far as your nutrition goes? I start my day with a smoothie and I do that partly because I am obsessed with smoothies, <laughs> um, but also because it really helps calm my digestion and make sure that I put something in my system before I actually ride. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> What's in your and smoothie? I, just those macros. I do a good quality beef-based protein powder. Any, you can use any type of protein, of course. The important thing there when I do my real food smoothies is that it's a what I would call a one-ingredient protein powder. Mm -hmm. So what that means is it's I'm creating a meal replacement smoothie from my my all the ingredients in my smoothie. It's not just all of the you know ingredients as a meal kind of a thing mm -hmm. that's already in the powder. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I also love to add collagen peptides. I will add a good fat source like MCT powder, MCT oil, um, almond butter or almond powder, 
um, some greens, chia seeds, flax meal, just mm-hmm. I'd like to put, you know, a couple of superfood boosts in there as well, maybe some berries, depending on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but really just, um, you know, everything. And I love ice. So I put a lot of ice. So I love to make it like a milkshake consistency. Yeah. Because- and your liquids water, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Oh no, sorry. The liquid, the base of the smoothie yeah. is almond milk or an almond unsweetened milk. nut okay. milk. Yeah. Cool. You can definitely use water, but I like to use an unsweetened nut milk. Okay, cool. Um, and just, um, that's, so that's how I start my day. Um, and then usually my classes are usually sometime between late morning and early afternoon. Once the classes are finished, I'll have, um, like something like turkey wraps or turkey roll-ups or maybe some chicken salad with, um, flax crackers, avocado, cucumber sticks, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe some nuts as a snack. If I'm at the show for, you know, longer, we live about an hour, hour and 10 minutes from our, from where we actually show. So it's usually a commute, especially in traffic going back home. Um, and then dinner is, you know, protein, veggies, meat source, veggies, um, try to, you know, vary it up like I would on other, you know, other days as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like to maybe batch create some things, batch make. My meal planning consists of you know, making large quantities of maybe chicken or um, beef or fish for that will will hold for a few days. I don't do the fancy containers. I, I'm always so amazed by your meal planning because <laughs> you do all the fancy containers. Um, but I just like to keep it simple and, and make a batch of meat and a batch of veggies and, and kind of take that on. Totally. The Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. What have you found is easier for you? Do you find that if you stick to a routine from breakfast to dinner, that is the same, do you find that easier or do you get bored of it and need to switch it up? Do you count your calories and macros? Like what does that whole process look like for you? Yeah. So I think for me, I mean, I am 100% a routine person. It fits for me to kind of know like the smoothie works in the morning and, and, you know, these are what I like to have for lunch and things like that. Um, I have a lot of clients who are not routine people and they need to kind of switch things up. So we talk about other options and Mm -hmm. varying it up on different days, things like that. So, um, again, it goes back to the individual person and not, not, one thing is going to work for every single individual. And then as far as counting macros goes, I don't anymore. If I'm feeling off, you know, on a week, then I will track and kind of see where I'm at. My big thing is I do feel it's important to count macros and to track once someone gets going on the right plan, so to speak. But my goal for my clients um, is really intuitive eating so that they know like when their body feels a certain way, that this is what they need to do to Mm -hmm. help them to feel better or to continue feeling good, that kind of thing. So that um, sort of intuitive eating would, would come in after someone's tracking for a little while and they you know, they can kind of connect the dots between this is what I had that day. And this is when I feel the best. And this is what I know I need to do in the future when I feel X, Y, or Z. Right. What are some components that you look for or you take into consideration when you are trying to figure out how much protein, let's say a client should have? My minimum recommendation across the board for women is 60 grams. Um, I have them keep a log. And when I first look at the log of what they're currently doing, they're not getting enough protein. And they're wondering why they have no energy and why they're not recovering well, Mm -hmm. either from their cross training workouts or from their riding workouts. 
Um, so that's the number one thing. Um, now that's just a minimum. So most of the, especially athletes I see, but most of the clients I see, they need more than that 60. So for anyone listening, if you're like, but I'm eating more than that, fantastic. Keep eating more for anyone who's eating less than 60, then make sure that that 60 mark Mm -hmm. is your initial goal from here on out. Um, but really just looking at the the person. So their, their current uh, goals, their height, their weight, their activity level, are they cross training um, their riding six days a week? And are they a trainer and riding four to five horses a day? Or are they uh, more of a leisurely question athlete who, you know, chooses to ride two days a week and, and doing some three days a week of cross training. So all of that is going to play a role in the, you know, the amount of, of all macros that they're going to need from energy. So their total energy. So I teach calories as energy because I counted too many calories in my life. You're over that life. (laughs) So I'm over that life. So I teach energy because we need to create enough energy on a daily basis to be able to have enough to expend. So energy, energy in energy out instead of calories in, calories out. Yeah. Is there a a cap to that protein? Do you feel like you find, oh, if you're starting to feel XYZ symptoms, like you might be taking in too much protein? Absolutely. So um, too much protein would be characterized by um, feeling maybe um, going from feeling good and then you've added to see if you feel better, but then you end up noticing that you're feeling a little bit more lethargic, just kind of foggy, just kind of not as good. And so that's where you would dial the protein back a little bit, especially if you've just increased it. Interesting. Yeah. What would you say is something that the equestrian world can do as a whole to improve upon their nutrition? Like what would you say is one thing if people could do for like, not necessarily like a quick fix, but like a a really kind of like easy constructive thing that they could do to improve on their nutrition? Um, I feel like the, honestly, the main component I would say is definitely protein and quality protein. So Mm. beef jerky and things like that, uh, nuts and seeds, those are good as snacks. Um, but when it comes to, you know, looking at, you don't want all of your, your protein to come from those sources. You really want to get some good quality sources, especially at your meals. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not a meat eater, maybe some Greek yogurt, some cottage cheese, if you do dairy, some eggs, um, pea protein is another good um, vegan source of protein. So making sure that they're dense sources. So that's definitely, I think, across the board, because the main complaints that I hear, especially from the equestrian athletes, are they want to get stronger. They want to maintain their strength and they want to recover better because if we're not recovering better, that's going to make all of the workouts harder. It's going to make the riding harder the next day, things like that. Yeah. Um, And then I would say that the other one that's mistaken a lot is not getting enough electrolytes. So hydration, yes, is important, but if we can't absorb the water that we're taking in, if we don't have, if we're sweating a lot, we can be losing our minerals and losing our electrolytes. And Mm -hmm. that's going to cause some fatigue, some headaches, some lightheadedness, where we might Mm -hmm. think that that's a food problem. It can actually be an electrolyte problem. Got it. Okay. So what are some uh, natural or supplemental ways we can uh, get that, those electrolytes back? So the easiest, easiest way um, is actually to add some pink Himalayan salt or Celtic sea salt to your water throughout the day. Oh, wow. So some of you might be thinking, oh, salt water. No, I'm not saying to drink salt water. <laughs> you just want to add a, you know, a pinch or two or three, depending on the size of your water bottle. A good measure would be if it, if you add too much and it's salty, 
that is obviously too much, then you want to just scale that back a little bit just till you're not tasting salt water. Um, So that's the easiest because a lot of people are already using Himalayan salt or Celtic sea salt on their food. Mm -hmm. And then there's my favorite electrolyte formula, which I am not affiliated with, but I will share. It's called 40,000 volts. Mm -hmm. Um, It's fantastic. Bioavailable minerals, no sweeteners added. It is absolutely one of the best formulas out there. And I, I swear by it. Yeah. I heard um, you talk about it in your online course that I'm a part of and I, I like ordered it right away and I add it to my smoothies now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And those are probably the two things. The other thing that you can do that helps um, is of course, adding the sea salt or pink salt to foods like you know, sprinkle it on top of salads and seasoning your meats and stuff with it, using it more often. But also foods like olives tend to be a little bit saltier. So those could be good snacks as well as, you know, avocado with sea salt on top of it. Mm-hmm. Avocados are also really rich in potassium. In fact, side note, little tip here is avocados have more potassium than bananas do. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's another, another good one. Yeah. What are some either like supplements or vitamins or minerals that you recommend like any woman taking? So that's one of my favorite questions. Um, I do, you know, definitely believe in supplementation. My approach is always food first. So I will say that. So dialing them in the food part of things is always first sure. um, and supplements should always be used as they're called supplementally. So that being said, I definitely feel like a good quality multi with B vitamins. Of course, that's really important. So B vitamins, of course, are going to support us um, energetically as well as brain function Mm -hmm. and then also um, stress hormones. So our adrenal hormones, um, B vitamins are important for adrenal glands too. Yeah. And then, you know, depending on someone's, I guess we could say constitution. So someone is struggling with some digestive stuff going on, Um, digestive enzymes can be helpful, you know, taken with meals. And then as far as minerals go, if you have a good quality multi, it should include some minerals. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would go back to like the trace minerals, the electrolyte formula, because those are the minerals that we need that would be important. Yeah. Um, It's kind of like a two in one for the Yeah. Yeah. What multivitamin are you taking? The brand is Seeking Health. I can't remember the, the name of it. Yeah. I feel like I go into like a grocery store, like a Whole Foods or, or, um, like a GMC and, and I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like, how do I know what to look? Cause there's so many options. Yeah. I, I'm so glad you brought that up. So, um, I will just share another, another favorite of mine, um, is by a company called designs for health. It is called metabolic synergy. That one is amazing. It has some really good, um, high potency B vitamins as well as blood sugar balancing herbs in there. That is very common. I, I recommend that a lot to my clients. I'm not saying that there's not you know good quality vitamins in the stores. What I will say is that what you need to keep in mind when you walk into the health food stores is everything is sold based on quantity and mm. and how pretty the label is. So you always want to make sure that it's a you know you've researched the company a little bit, you've gotten a recommendation from maybe a health professional, mm-hmm. nutritionist, um, things like that. It's something that I do with my clients, of course. And kind of go from there. Just make sure you're not buying a very generic bulk food store brand of vitamins. If y'all catch my drift. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. The quality Um, over quantity. Absolutely. So what would be an area of this industry that you are particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the industry either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk enough about? 
I honestly feel like not enough attention is given to the nutrition for equestrian athletes. Totally. So again, we hear everything about this grain for the horses and that grain and this supplement, and this is amazing for their joints and support this for them. And this is for the digestion to, to prevent ulcers and all of that. And I mean, let's be real. All of that is very important you know, as caring for them as athletes and animals and they can't speak. And so um, we need to kind of be their voice kind of thing. And then kind of second to that, I just, I feel like equestrian athlete nutrition is, is missing. There's just not enough um, discussions about it. My passion, my hope is that I can bring more of that into the equestrian world. Yeah. Nutrition and fitness is such a big part of my everyday life. And it's amazing to think, Imagine if all of equestrian athletes really put nutrition and fitness at a big part of their program. It'd be, I mean, I feel like we'd see a different sport. Absolutely. 100%. I totally agree with that. Yeah. There's definitely more of a focus now on fitness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just feel like there's, you know, again, there's a missing component with nutrition. Yeah. Well, and I feel like nutrition's harder. <laughs> Oh, it it definitely is. It's, you know, not just about going to lift weights and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of um, figuring out, especially, you know, when someone's in the state of frustration or they're dealing with symptoms or just trying to, you know, a lot of equestrian athletes just are trying to get by on coffee if they have no energy. So, you know, just things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not just coffee, it's the milk and sugar too. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Great points. Um, Well, Danny, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the equestrian podcast today. You know so much and I feel like I could talk to you for hours about (laughs) stuff, but I wish you all the best. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.